0: Hey guys, this is Jim the Keys, bartender. Did you hear me shuffling around before I uh, started the podcast? I'm kind of, I don't know, I, I realize uh, I i am, I think I am getting a little better with the sound quality, I hope I am, but uh, how are you today? I'm doing great. If only You know, recently I haven't done as many episodes, I apologize for that, but I've had a lot of I don't know. I've been really... Wrapped in internal dialogue. And normally I'm in external dialogue mode. Because otherwise why have a podcast? Uh, This past Sunday... uh, Well, first I'll talk about the weather here. It's beautiful in the Keys. We're getting some nice cool weather. Nice cool weather. We got like 80 degrees. I know. It's April and all that stuff. But this is a godsend. Normally... We get this, it's already 90 and humid. Now we got some cool air coming down, 80 degrees in the daytime and lower 70s at night, which is pretty awesome for this time of year. And I'll take this anytime. We can get, we can get through most of April this way, we'll be set. We we'll only have to struggle through six months of the heat. Yeah, it's hot, it gets hot. It's been hot. It's been hot already. But, you know, when you're about six inches away from the sun, what the fuck are you going to do? I'm burning up down here. But uh, you get used to it. At least I do. It's weird. I I was listening to um, another podcast. Yes, I do that from time to time. But I try not to listen to ones that are similar to mine. Uh, Not that there's a lot similar to mine. I'm not saying I'm unique. I'm saying not too many people would spend... uh, you know, 30 to 40 minutes just doing a verbal diarrhea online, but that's me. That's me with the podcast. To get sidetracked. But what was I talking about just a moment ago? Oh, yes. I'm faking memory of what I just spoke about. It was... Hmm. This is an interesting situation. Oh, I was talking about the weather and how we... Um, live in modern times, we have a very narrow scale of comfortability in let's say in modern times, at least here in this part of the world, if you're not working, uh, not in this part of the world, in, in modern society, most people like to live between anywhere from 70 degrees, and 75 degrees, a low humidity, right? That's comfortability. And that's unusual in the history of humankind. It's only been, gosh, the last several generations that we were doing that. For Christ's sakes, in the, it was in, in my lifetime when I was born. I was born up north, but at this time, People, guys, would be walking around in the daytime wearing linen suits, and it would be almost ninety degrees. That's fucking crazy, and nobody had AC except for movie theaters and wealthy people. Maybe some some Cadillac started introducing them at in that time. I think they may add air conditioning in the late fifties. I'm not. I'm not doing a show on air conditioning. I'm talking about how it's only been several generations and humans have a real... um, like. It wasn't much earlier than that. Um, Maybe my grandparents' day or uh, my grandparents' grandparents' day that they didn't have indoor plumbing. Meaning the bathrooms were outside. I'm talking about my grandmother's grandmother. So, which would be my great-great-grandparents who I've never met my great-great-grandparents. I met a couple of my great-grandparents. But here I sidetrack. So my grandmother, let's say my oldest grandmother, and, well, they were both, all, all my grandparents were born probably right uh, 10 to 12 years before World War I. And their grandparents were born... Let's say uh, forty years earlier, for, you know, because they didn't wait that long to have kids. That's an aside. And so it was 1870. And maybe in the city, some places, modern places, may have had indoor plumbing, but that was very unusual. So we've learned, we've grown accustomed to things like having a box in in the place where we prepare our food that keeps food cool and frozen in the other. I mean, they used to have to actually physically bring ice to the ice box to keep things cold. There was a whole industry of guys in big cities that would just move around big blocks of ice. Yes, it's true. The ice truck would come down. These guys have these big calipers and they lug these huge pieces of ice in the people's house every day, people pay for it, so they keep their food cool, and it would, it would eventually save some money for them. They could cook and not worry about throwing. They don't have to eat everything in one set uh, seating. Think about that. And it's if you if you went back in time, and you sat at a middle to lower middle class table, let's say let's pick a place. Let's say 18... 1868. I'm going post-Civil War. And you're in Akron, Ohio. You go over to someone's house. Someone lays out a dinner. And you're sitting there eating. And people have that dinner. And you decide not to eat. Oh, don't worry about that. Just say that you have leftovers. And they go, "What's leftovers. I mean, sure, yeah, you can have a roast beef maybe for a couple you know, one day later and stuff like that. But they didn't hang on to food that long. Once you cooked the food, once you made the eggs, once you had to do that, there wasn't like, hey, stick that in the fridge. Some places may have had it, but most people just say when they made it, they ate it. And they kept whatever they know they could keep a little longer, they might keep that. But there wasn't a big thing about leftovers. There was no Tupperware. So... Humans have very quickly come accustomed to living in a certain type of environment. Now, some people in, in certain societies, obviously in the third world, that's a different case. People have to go miles just to get fresh water. Here, you just walk a couple feet and open up the tap. And like here, we have filtered water in the house. Now imagine you know being a human soul civilization say well some water when you drink from it well, you'll get you may die if you drink from the wrong water <laughs> there you go and they had to learn well this is running from the hills and that's safe because there's no settlements up there and there's not a lot of animals so we won't get anthrax or dysentery or whatever you can get from that um, from from drinking bad water so that's that's about it. The comfort level. I'm not not it for the show, but that's for it for the topic. This past Sunday was Easter Sunday, and yes, I went to church. I know people say, "Well, Jim, how can you go to church? You're not exactly a believer." I said, so, "Well, I'm not a disbeliever either. I'm not agnostic. I'm not edging my bets or anything like that. I." I don't necessarily believe the whole, uh, the theology. I mean, gonna say I believe in the spirituality of the, the, the practice of religious practice, but I don't actually necessarily believe. I believe in the practices, and I don't. I'm not talking about the traditions, the kneeling, the bowing, the, the crossing yourself. I'm talking about like the meditative nature of it, asking for, you know, that you're imperfect, but being joyful about existing and things like that. And I'm happy to join in that. I'm not exactly sure it didn't happen. But I didn't have a lot of proof that it did happen either. So I'm not going to ridicule people that have that blind faith. And I don't say that negatively, blind faith. Blind faith is a good time. You know, some people are let down with blind faith and stuff like that. And other people say, well, you know what, the universe will come to bear and you know the what you're supposed to handle you get and what you can't handle you don't and you know life goes on and there's a certain solace that goes on to believing that life does go on after this existence for people i mean you really can't be certain of it you certainly hope that it does not to depress you or anything like that but i'd be really careful of ending when people make such a final decision about ending their existence. They, I don't know, you know, just, I, I don't know how you could necessarily do that. I, I have, I share the same disbelief as people who are are, are serious believers. I saying the same disbelief. How can you throw away this gift of consciousness? That's what you have. So, with this gift of consciousness on Easter, we went to Easter Mass, we had a little breakfast at uh, home, and we we're talking about Abby and my daughter Sky. And then, at, uh, we had decided that it would be a good day. It was a beautiful day to go to the Van Gogh immersion exhibit in Miami. And I've been to my share of museums. I'm not exactly an aficionado. I can I try to look at. Art with a unjudgmental eye, meaning just look at it and grow to push. Some of, some art I don't see. Others, uh, when they touch something in me, I I will acknowledge it. Van Gogh is one of those. Van Gogh, Van Gogh. I think it's the way you say, G O H G. So, Van Gogh. Uh, Vincent We'll call him Vincent From now on So I don't have to go And do that Pretentious bullshit Van Gogh Thing I'm not saying And insulting people That are Van Gogh Their name's Van Gogh I'm just saying It's a struggle It's a struggle Just talking sometimes For me Okay So bear with me So We go down We're driving up We're uh, driving down Every We're driving up it, I, I get so screwed up On north and south Sometimes we are at the ass end of the United States. Actually, more the heel, I guess. I mean, if the East Coast is the heel, then Southern California is a big toe. Right? No. Well, I mean, that would be a seriously short human spreading 3,000 miles wide and about 1,800 miles north. But... Or 1,600 miles north. Um... We go, we go to the. I did not know what to expect. I did know the Van Gogh experience. What what happens? You really. There's some prints there. I don't know if they're original Van Gogh prints because they weren't protected. They weren't. They were just bare on the wall. You can go. If you wanted to disfigure it, it would. So I, don't, I imagine it wasn't the original. It's just a copy. But I mean, I guess with a painting, you got to make a 3D copy. Because there's texture texture to paint. Not watercolors necessarily, but there's textures to uh, acrylics. And we went there and I have to say, only go there if you're open to the experience. And when you go there, they really it, it, they put you in Van Gogh's life. And not like a VR thing. You got to be, kind of have a historical tilt. Think about the time. Think about the person. Think about it. But if you listen to them, they go in depth on how depth, how Van Gogh painted and how he lived and his relations with um, his friends and relationship to the to his art form, painting. I had no idea... Went at his sickest, as his mentally unfit, because he did, he put himself in the hospital. So when he deemed himself the most mentally unfit, he was the most prodigious in producing things. That would be like me putting out all those goddamn podcasts five, six a week during COVID shutdown. So, but I am not equating my podcast to what Van Gogh does. Yeah, may I paint with my words. Um, no. Van Gogh, definitely artists, definitely see him, And I'll tell you, it's an experience. You go there and you see, you certainly say there's a type of people that go there. There's a certain type of person that goes to an art exhibit like that. Just as there's a, a person that goes to a monster truck rally. It is a possibility you could be the person that goes to the monster truck rally and the mango immersion uh, experience, immersion, yeah, something like that experience. I'm sure that's a rarity. I mean, I could go to a monster truck rally. Would I enjoy it? After I see one car, one truck crush a car or another truck, you've seen them all the same way about NASCAR. I'm sorry if you're a fan of NASCAR. Um, I don't enjoy the crashes because I, I don't like. To, I don't necessarily want to watch anybody get hurt. I like seeing the bumping. I like seeing the bumping and the pit moves. That's it. As long as no one's like cars are catching fire and you don't have guys running around the track on fire or being crushed or big tires flying into the standing and killing the spectators. I can do that. But that's the only exciting part of it. I'm sorry for hitting the walls of this desk. That's the one that caused the noise. I won't do that again. So, um, when you're down there, yeah, you've just, and then we went, we went down, we enjoyed it. You go in there, they project pictures of it on the wall. In one room, it was all Van Gogh's paintings in this big room where it was, they go to different phases and the different subjects of Van Gogh paintings. And in other ones, they showed his life in uh, southern France where he lived with um Gauguin Paul I think it's Paul Gauguin and uh, uh that was his buddy and he had uh, a relationship with his uh, brother when I say relationship it was just a, a family relationship but his brother used to be his what would you call his sponsor I mean he paid for him he was the um, he was the guy, he was sending, he would keep Van Gogh and paint and all that stuff so he can do that. So, that was nice. I learned a lot about him. I learned that in his ear when he cut off. He didn't send it to one particular prostitute. He dropped it off at a brothel. And his, um, this is right before he checked himself in the hospital. Which, if you ever, you know, if I was Van Gogh, Vincent, the time to check yourself in a hospital is right before you cut part of your ear off and drop it off at the Bravo. I know I have a problem with you going to Bravo. That's what they did back then. France. It must have been great brothels back then. Once again, not modern times, so there's probably a lot of diseases and stuff like that because they didn't know about, you know, people say they put on a you know, condom they'd be looking at you. This was like the 1880s. Uh, eight, late 1870s, 1880s. Uh, so, we had a great time down there. Uh, they, they showed his life there and all that stuff. And then we went to dinner. We went out for an early dinner. We went to Hard Rock on um, the waterfront. It's just beautiful down there. I, lo- I love going down to Miami. And they, we jumped on the whatever elevated trams they have there. Trams. It's not exactly trains because it's just, you know, it's wheeled wheel. I think or tracked, it's tracked vehicles on wheels, not metal wheels though I think I think it's on rubber wheels which kind of defeats the purpose why do you have tracked vehicles if you're just going to put on I guess to make a smoother ride so um, we rode those around took a little look at downtown and then we came home beautiful Easter Um, yeah that's something you do and you know we could have went on the water but once you're done eating and all that stuff and then every Sunday everyone's on the water down here so during the week I gotta do that I haven't been on the water for a while a while looking forward to it uh, lastly I wanted to touch on I like touching on a lot of things self-assessment test it used to be a big thing in magazines like Cosmopolitan Good Housekeeping Psychology Today um I don't know if the U.S. News and World Report, but more, more to th- things where they GQ, things like that, or I don't know if they do the self-assessment test, mainly ladies' magazines, but they do it in some of the psychological in, in, in psychology today and all that stuff. And I don't understand. Most people out there, and I'm looking out the window right here, most people out there, Crazy people don't know they're crazy, right? So how are you supposed to detect a disorder in yourself? Now, a lot of times it's easy to say, well, I'm really strange. You can tell me you're anorexic if every time you eat, you go and run in the bathroom and vomit. Yeah. But there's other things you're not going to figure out. Like you're not going to know that you're necessarily a kleptomaniac. Steal things. Right? Or a pyromaniac. You, you know you do those things, but you don't... I mean, either you don't recognize it as wrong, or you do, and you're just ashamed of it, but you keep on doing it. I guess that's an example of things you can't... But in self-assessment, you're asked to say things about yourself that aren't necessarily flattering. Now, I don't know about you, but... Of, I'm my biggest fan. I am my biggest fan. You should be your biggest fan, right? That's uh, called not. That's called self-conceit, not to be confused with conceited or self-absorbed. Self-conceit is when you have a good image of yourself, and in order to have a good image of yourself you're gonna to have to be a little more relaxing where it comes to grading yourself. Let's say you're a fitness magazine, there's a self-assessment, See say, what's your body like? And stuff like that. Where you stand naked in front of the mirror and you're looking at your ass, your tummy, your chest, your shoulders. You can look at them and say, Ugh, they need a lot of work. I'm not really happy with them, blah, 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 so you can say, hey, there's a lot worse out there. But you can't, I mean, it's really hard to become better when you have a shitty view of yourself. So the self assessment test is is asking you to grade yourself on some things that you can't really. Your likability test. How about that? A psychology like, uh, that sounds like a Cosmo one, doesn't it? You know, 15 questions to let you know, are you likable? Okay. And they say, one, when you, when you greet people, you're smiling. Okay, yeah. And people smile. And number two, do people smile back? Is it frightened smile? No. When you go to someone's house, is the first thing you do is run to their bathroom and take a big, big uh, number two? Shit. To be more exact, that'd be like not likable, right? You know, to really give you a good test, they got to give you like two hundred questions and got to throw them from different directions, and they got to ask the same question several ways. Because there is one test out there for um, psychology today that uh, I talked about it a couple, several years ago—the psychopath test. I read the book; it was a great book. Uh, this guy developed a test that purportedly, purportedly would report a high incidence or a possibility of someone being a psychopath. Now, there's murder psychopaths and And a lot of things that came out, the stories that was maybe eight years ago when it was really big, right? And they said a lot of CEOs uh, were psychopaths and, you know, obviously killers and stuff like that. But, you know, certain leaders are psychopaths. And that that was a, a billion. He said some of the people that make you a good CEO are traits, are psychopathic traits. That was the the alleged. That's what was alleged. So in this test, this guy, this doctor, came up with this test, and it was over. It was it was a long test, and the book did it. And they had and they gave a. I think they gave a note of about fifty of it. I have it right here. I should do the psychopath test again. Um. But really, why would you give someone a self-assessment on being a sociopath or a psychopath? That's the number one thing. You know, like 20 questions to see if you're a liar. Why would that liar answer questions truthfully, especially about themselves? They've been lying to themselves for years. Why would they start telling the truth when they're reading a magazine? And why would, well, first of all, you go, well, why, Jim, why would they take the test? The liar knows they're a liar. You know? It's not like pathological liar, pathology, you're sick. you're sick enough to lie. So that's fine. That would probably be a good test. You know, 20, 25 questions to see if you're a pathological liar. Do you constantly lie about your date of birth? I do. I used to say it was Christmas. And I would tell. first I would tell the whole story about it. And then I would start alluding to there's being another, there's a big holiday. And for some reason, other people sell it, right? That one too. And then I go into the Christmas traditions and I go, wait, when were you born? And I go, December 25th. And then, you know, the people that are on to it go, oh, that's funny. That's funny. Funny. That's a long, and some other people go, that's a long setup for a fucking stupid joke. And other people go, oh, that's amazing. You were born on December 25th. Oh my gosh. You must be oh, that must be horrible to share the... And I go, wow. You know, I figure when I told them that I was born in a garage when three guys, very intelligent men came in that looked to have been traveling for a while and, you know, trying to do the furry kings and the guy with some dogs and chickens coming in. So, nope. A lot of times they don't bite them. But a self-assessment test. Whether you're... you're, uh, You you can be loved. If you're lovable... uh, all these ones. Depressed. Are you depressed? Like, that's self-fulfilling. So I can't, imagine, I can't imagine if someone's taking it to see if they're depressed. I mean, if you don't know you're depressed, then maybe you're not de- depressed. Maybe that's your contentment. But self-assessments, I I always think uh, can you really be truthful about it? And when you do do it, when you try to be really truthful about those self-assessment tests, especially the psychopath test, you take it, you're going to start thinking you're a psychopath. If you take the psychopath test, you will think you're a psychopath. That's my bold statement for today. So, you know, rarely people say, you know, 20 questions to see if you're an offspring of British royalty. People don't lie and say, oh yes, I do remember, I did get dropped off from the hospital in a carriage. Okay. Well, I'd like to thank you for listening today. Um, Listen, if you like self-assessment tests, go do them. You know, but don't, really don't try to plant too much faith or trust in the results and a lot of times when it comes to things like that if you're looking to fix things up a lot of times some serious introspection will help and i to one of the i'm going to do a revelation today uh when i was going to my 12 step group this week they had a reading that talked about motivations what your motivations are and i thought about my motivations and then I realized my motivations were wrong in a certain area of my life. It wasn't it wasn't my family. My motivations are right with my family and my career. That's fine and stuff like that. It was more like personal motivations and stuff like that and how I act towards other others. And then just realized what I you know it was a a thing that I've carried with me my whole life. It doesn't really benefit anybody. It's not really horrible either, but it does affect the people that. Are close to me, the ones that are close to me. So, and then I thought about it, and I said, "Oh, my motivations have been in question, and I never questioned them." Let me say that again: my motivations have been in question, been questionable, and I chose not to question them. And today, or last couple days, I've been thinking about it, and once I started thinking about it and realizing that that's the way I've been behaving for years and years and years. I'm not saying I'm all better, not even close to being better, but uh, it is wondrous to know that, oh, there's a possibility. That's the reason. That's something I do and something like that. And I, I don't have to do that. All I have to do is be aware of it. That's something I do. And maybe someday I'll talk to you about it. Maybe someday I'll talk about it. but Not today. I'd like to thank you for listening. I'd like to... um, We have listeners in Ukraine. Um, I don't know what to say. I talk about that stuff for weeks and weeks and weeks. And I know people are tired of it. You're going to hear it. It's either going to be big or bad and stuff like that. There's not much I can do. We're going to try to go there to Poland, the family, this summer. I want to go and visit and stuff like that. But I realize um, we're we're not going for a... um, to go there to, to show we're not afraid we're going because we have family there and my wife has family there and we're going close to them and we want to go and see them and we have property over there and we would t- take a look um, we're going to the, you know check it out in the mountains and stuff like that so hopefully I'll be able to go over there with uh, the wife and daughter uh, so um, but and they the wife still wants to go And people say, Jim, how can you do that? And I go, well, listen. In the age of intercontinental ballistic missiles, um, people can reach out and touch people from any place on the planet. Okay? Yes, it's near a war zone and stuff like that, but um, Poland's a part of NATO, so if Russia were going to attack Poland, it might as well attack the United States. Right? Because... Article 5 of NATO means if you attack any of the member states that it's attack on all the states. And so he has just an incentive to attack Canada as it would be us. So that's all I have. Oh, Canada, Canada is a member, right? France, Britain, Italy, Spain, a bunch of countries, you know, the Baltic states and Poland and Germany and I did say Germany twice, Netherlands and Sweden. Sorry, hit that wood thing again. Thank you very much. Have a great day. I'll be back maybe tomorrow morning. Talk to you later. Bye.